Hey all, it's Woody. As you know, I'm the sound engineer for the podcast, and I wanted to let you all know that we did have a little bit of difficulty uh, towards the end of the podcast recording, but bear with us, stick it through, and I hope you enjoy the show. The Infertility Podcast is a place of inspiration for every season in life, a resource where listeners can be encouraged to push past obstacles and be motivated by individual stories. The premise of infertility is understanding the season you are in and realizing that there are strategies that can be implemented to enjoy a fertile season. Now on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Infertility Podcast. Last week, I had the opportunity to converse with my husband, Woody, and he gave his perspective on our current climate and what's going on in regards to racism. And the post I made uh, last week on my Instagram page, I spoke about how we discussed the importance of a seed and how when a seed is nurtured, it brings forth a harvest. And right now we've seen the harvest that the seed of racism has brought onto our society. And I hope that this conversation today with my special guest uh, will shed some light on that. So I wanted to first thank Kristen for joining. Woohoo! I'm so excited. <laughs> and before we get into our conversation, Kristen, if you can provide um, a brief in- introduction of yourself, who you are, what you do, and any personal or professional highlights that you would like the mm-hmm. listeners to know. Sure, sure. So first, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm extremely proud of you for just being so bold and being such a strong leader and example for all of us. Um, You know, I think you're so bomb. So um, I'm so excited um, that you have this platform and that you invited me to share some thoughts today. Um, so yeah, so my name is Kirsten Fawali Thomas. I am a political and community leader here in Orlando. I am originally from Pittsburgh, but I, uh, have been in Central Florida for the past 10 years. Um, so I'm currently the managing director for Equal Ground Action and Equal Ground Education Fund. And so we are a black, uh, Black-led community center organization engaging and empowering uh, Black voters here in Florida, but uh, more specifically the, along the I-4 quarter. So our organization focuses on voter registration, um, voter engagement, leadership development, trainings, and things like that. Um, I'm also the founder and executive director of the Black History Project, which is a nonprofit organization empowering our youth through Black history. So uh, just working with the community um, and any uh, opportunities that I have just to be engaging and be empowering, I um, it's pretty much my life work. <laughs> um, I'm yeah. also an active uh, member of the Central Florida Urban League Young Professionals and a leader at my church, the Outpouring Orlando. Uh, it's funny because I'm a newlywed, um, but I would say that COVID-19 has been a very interesting start to my marriage. Um, yes. It has brought us extremely closer together, so I do love my husband. Uh, but yeah, so I work. I work a lot, but I'm so excited to be here. 
Yeah, and not only does Kristen work, but she's passionate about what she does. And, and um, it's so amazing to watch your transition to the politic political field um, and watch your, you know, your story and how you've grown over the past years that I've known you. Um, and it's so funny, you just kind of had like a little conversation with your now boss and was like, hey, I want to get into politics. You know, right. how am I going to do this? <laughs> Literally, that's exactly what happened. And it's yes. crazy. You fast forward, what, six, uh, six, about six years later, yes. seven years later, and now we're working together doing exactly what we've been talking about since I've met her. So yes. it's a blessing. It is definitely a blessing to watch you both. Okay, so let's get into the questions, um, because I know that's you are a busy lady. And so uh, when I interviewed Woody last week, I asked him this question, and he shared his um his experience and I shared mine. So mm -hmm. can you share the first, share the first time you experienced racism? So that is a very interesting question. Um, I was actually really young. So I was in the fourth grade. Um, I went to a predominantly white school. Uh, my mom shipped me across the, um, across town to go to school. We actually lived in the projects, but I went to a different school than the neighbor, uh, the kids in my neighborhood. So my fourth grade class, we did um, a pen pal activity with another elementary school. And although, um, although I lived in a very, um, you know, low-income area, low-income area, my mother did work really hard to, like, you know, show me experiences outside of my living environment. So mm -hmm. I've enjoyed um, things that are, you know, quote-unquote, considered to be white at the time. In retrospect, I understand that that is a, pro you know, that was problematic, but, it, you know, I thought that I identified, well, not identified, but I thought that those were like white things when I was younger. Okay. Um, but I was really into things like musical theater and art and like, I was like Hanson. So um, <laughs> it was very, very interesting time. Um, but I had a pen pal, her name was Kirsten. And I remember liking her because like our names were really similar. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we wrote back and forth about our likes and interests and on paper with the name Kirsten Wiley and the interest that I talked about and the school that I went to it was safe to assume I was a little white girl. Okay. And so the day came for our classes to meet and I was really excited and we finally met and like she did not speak to me at all. Yeah. Um, like she legit sat there and asked us to with her friend and her pen pal um, and I remember crying and being really upset, but because I had other life experiences and it was weird because as a child, I immediately knew it was because I was black. Mm -hmm. Like I remember speaking about it with my brother and him confirming that that's probably what it was. And I was just in the fourth grade. So it was just crazy that, I don't know, my life as a kid was really balanced because I was around black people and white people. So yeah. Um, but I knew, I like knew in that moment, oh, it's because I'm black. Because mm -hmm. um, like I said, I sound like a little white girl on paper. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she, well, Kirsten was not feeling me. Um, or maybe it was Kirsten. I'm not sure. Okay. But at this point, but yeah. So yeah, I, that was the first time that I experienced racism. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, a lot of us, you know, even when I spoke to Woody and even my story in dealing with racism, it was at, you know, the elementary school age Mm -hmm. um, that it became evident, you know, that there is a stark difference and people see, you know, we may see ourselves like everyone else, but um, there's other subsets of the community who don't see us um, the same way. And so um, it becomes blatantly evident um, during that time frame, um, which is really unfortunate. But one thing you spoke about that I really appreciate um, that you started is an organization called the Black History Project. Uh, Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the program and, you know, why you really started um, it for our community? Yes. So I have, like I mentioned earlier, always been involved in community work. I have been a mentor for so long. So I like worked with Black students. Um, And uh, this particular time I was volunteering. It was actually with the Central Florida Urban League Young Professionals. And we were going to go speak at us um, with the Upward Bound students. And so our topic, I had to come up with an activity, um, and our topic was, you know, the importance of young people during the civil rights movement. And so if, for those who might not be familiar with Upper Bounce, you know, these are kids um, from all over the city, um, but there are kids that are engaged in their education. Like they're there, they study, they make pretty good grades. And so these are not students that were like disconnected from education. And so we were starting the activity and we were having really great conversation. Kids were engaged, it was fun. Um, But they were, we were talking about the importance and um, we started asking very interesting questions like, oh, we thought the Black Panthers just wanted to kill all of the white people. Or we thought that, um, what did they say? They said that they, we, Black people knew what they were getting themselves um, into when we came over here on a boat because Black people sold other Black people into slavery. I was just like, I mean, shocked. I was extremely shocked because I was like, oh my gosh, like, no. So I found myself just trying to debunk all of these myths or these like fix what they were what they had been taught which we know in our school system is nothing um as it relates to black history and so literally within two months I with it with my network I worked with um a professor who was a professor at Rollins College at the time um because I wanted to make sure that the information was legit it came from um someone that has the credentials to actually teach black history um, that was very important to me because, you know, I'm not an educator by trade. I just am very interested in our history and I care about the community. Um, so I got with him and he was on board and I just started recruiting a bunch of students. And our first class, we had like 35 kids Wow! Um, in the class. And we launched the organization in 2015. And I mean, I just did it within two months. No, no funding, no board of directors, no nothing. It was just, this is important. Our kids are not being taught history, Black history, and we need to do something about it. Um, So five years later, um, of course, we have a board, we have financial structure, like there's structure now. Um, But we have been teaching Black history to students um, in a classroom setting. So each, each week, or I'm sorry, each month, they will come, they will learn a new um, 
a new part of history. So we started with civilization in Africa, talked about the slave trade. Um, at the time, we really focused on slavery in North America. I mean, we couldn't, we didn't have the time and the resources to dig deeper and talk about, you know, how Africans were taken to other parts of the world. So we focused on North America. But um, then we talked about, you know, Jim Crow, civil rights. We talked about issues that, like current events. Um, we've taken them on field trips and and it's honestly just been an amazing experience. Um, but last summer, we decided to take a, a, a little shift from teaching Black history to um, helping uh, our students just live out history. We are history makers right now. Um, so how do we prepare them for the next phase of their lives? How do we prepare them to be entrepreneurs and business leaders and future community activists? Um, I really believe that it's important for us to engage and empower our students at a young age. So when they become 30, um, when they when they become adults, they they already have the tools and the understanding to be, um, you know, just to live in this right. world. black man or black woman. Um, some things that some things you can teach in a textbook, and then some things we just got to work through through experiences. So. How do we take the things that they're interested in and connect that through our history so that they can be future history makers? Um, I'm really excited about the transition. I thought that with COVID, because we couldn't really program, this was a perfect time to restructure and revamp the organization, which I was doing. Um, and then this whole social unrest, not that it hasn't, we haven't been um, fighting for justice, but with the back-to-back -back killings, the issues with the with the virus affecting Black communities at a high rate, mm -hmm. um, it's just been a lot. And so we've actually been forced to um, to program a little sooner than we anticipated. But um, but I'm really excited about the direction that the organization is going. I um, actually have my husband, so I recruited him to help me uh, uh, work with BHP. Um, so I have some help now and, uh, I'm just, it's just, it's just going in a really good direction. So I'm excited about the work we're doing. Definitely. And, and you hit on a couple points, like the fact that, you know, our history is not really taught in schools. Um, mm -hmm. and I don't know why that is. I would love for someone to give me some insight as to why that is, um, and well, they don't want us to know our history. I, I was going there. Yeah. Um, and even on a collegiate level, um, when you take a class that's dealing with Black history, if, you know, for I, I think back on my collegiate years, I, I was thankful and, and grateful enough to have some strong African-American leaders at the mm -hmm. um, campus to teach you know, these courses, you know, and teach our history and, and, mm -hmm. and teach what we can do present day, you know, but a lot of us are not fortunate enough to go through um, that kind of curricula. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's not taught. And so you, you know, for even for myself, I'm African American, but I'm also from um, Haitian descent. And yeah. I know the overview and the highlights of things that had you know taken place but I don't know the nitty-gritty and sometimes in that nitty-gritty you learn so much about yourself you know what I mean yeah. like, okay, wow this is why my people are like this and this is why you know we're so strong we're so resilient things can be you know thrown at us and we're just gonna keep going yeah. um but it's not taught and so you know 
hats off to you for seeing a, a, a problem uh, and providing a solution. And I've seen the, you know, cohort, I've seen the, you know, the students go through the program um, and how their perspective has shifted. And it's just been mm -hmm. honestly amazing to watch no, um, over the past five years. So um, I know the news has been very triggering um, yes. in the past couple of weeks. Uh, a lot of us have had to, you know, take breaks off of social media, not watch the news and that sort of thing. And um, I know you're still working, you're home, you're, you know, a new wife. What have you done to keep centered during this time? Hmm. Um, so that's a really good question. And I'm going to be honest, it has been an, it has been an extreme struggle. Um, not even gonna lie, I have felt extremely overwhelmed and extremely anxious over the past two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, I wake up and just because you know the nature of my work, I watch the news. So I'm constantly either reading the news, watching the news, and I even like the people that I follow on social media. A lot of them are news, uh, you know, folks and journalists. Yes. Like that. So like. I get a lot of my, you know, news from Facebook. And so, and then I work in this political space and am working in the community. And so we're constantly talking about it that I, I want to run a black, uh, you know, organization. So we had to address it there. Um, and so it's just honestly have been a lot. And I feel like, you know, my face started breaking out, like in everything. I'm just going to be extremely honest. Um, but I will say that, I really have tried very hard just to answer your your initial question. Um, I'm really blessed to have a, a amazing group of friends and a husband who gets it, who understands it. And so I do have a safe, I, I am blessed to have safe spaces um, to be able to just be me and to feel um, whether that's at work, whether that's at home, whether that's in my group text messages. Um, and I know that that's not everyone's testimony. So I, I really am blessed to that. Um, secondly, I do really try hard to disconnect when I can. I watch a lot of reruns of The Office and Grey's Anatomy um, <laughs> religiously. That helps me try to take my mind off of it because even like the podcasts that I listen to, the books that I will read are all Black. Like yes. it's my life for Black. Yeah, so it's like I really, I, I have to watch something like The Office that completely like disconnects me from from those things. And then I will say like I try not to be everywhere and do so much. There are events and marches and rallies and uh, town halls and webinars and things that are happening happening constantly. And so at first I was like, okay. I need to be at all of these places. Then I was just like, no, like you just, I can't. And I would say to anyone listening, like don't, don't feel pressured into going somewhere if it's going to be triggering. Like I don't even know right now if I can go to a march because I feel so angry. And so I don't want to take myself there, you know? Right. I try to make sure that like self-care is learning when to say no to even things like that are for the community because sometimes you just really have to connect. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I really, I really have been trying um, to, yeah, to try. I tried. No, you're doing, you know, and this, I said this earlier 
um, in the podcast and I've put it on my social media, you have to do the best that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said that in regards to the pandemic, but even in this, you know, what was going on right now, um, you have to do the best that you can, you know, yeah. if you're an individual where like the news triggers you don't watch the news. Like if you have to take yeah. a social media break, do that. Um, if you're a person that you're an action oriented and I feel like I'm an action oriented person, um, if you feel led to go to a protest, do that. But like mm-hmm. you, I feel like, you know, going to a protest right now would make me very emotional. Yeah. Um, I'm not in the right mind frame um, yeah. to go out there, you know? And, yes. um, you know, another thing, like, you know, you said, you know, don't feel so guilty. Sometimes we do guilt ourselves. Like for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I have asthma. If I go out there, I have to have a mask. I have to be so careful. Um, and I would be putting myself at risk. But do the best that you can. You know, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's very important because some people, you know, even if you look at a company structure, there are some people who are frontline leaders. They're the ones that are guest facing. They're the ones that are dealing with the customer issues. And then you got other people who are on the back end of it, dealing yes. with emails, dealing with different things. They're, that's their skill set, you know. So we have to do what's you know the best for us. And I, if I can just add one more thing, I think you touched on something that is, um, that is very important to point out. I think that sometimes even within um, our own communities, we can be harsh on how we feel other people should show up during this time. And to your point, I do believe that there is a space for everyone. Like, like to, like you said, we need someone who's going to march. We need someone that's going to plan. We need trolls on Facebook that are going to call out these racist folks in the comments. Like, yes. we need y'all to tag them so we can get them fired. Like, yes. there is a place for you <laughs> at every level in this movement. And so, like, like we were saying, I just, I don't think that we should beat ourselves up like you you everyone needs to be doing something i strongly believe that yeah um but you do what you can um and and it, you know don't feel bad about it so yeah. yeah definitely um so one of the um terms that woody and i discussed last week and i wanted to bring it up here because i wanted your perspective is um the word ally so this mm-hmm. has um, really popped up in the past, you know, and not to say that it wasn't used before, but it's really been, you know, very popular in the past week or so. Um, mm-hmm. I want to first give the definition in case this is the first time someone is hearing um, this word. So ally is formally cooperating with another for a military or other purpose. Um, mm-hmm. The other part of the definition is to combine or unite a resource of commodity with another for mutual benefit. And so we had a dialogue last episode about, you know, what is an ally? Do we have allies? Um, Woody, you know, said that he does. And I unfortunately do not feel that I have um, any allies. So my question is for you, um, do you have any allies as it relates to this topic? And what do you, um, what has been your experience if you've had an ally? So this is, this is, this is a good question. I'm, I'm going to be honest because I feel, I feel two ways. Um, I do feel I have one or two allies that have personally reached out 
that have personally said, how can I support you and financially supported the Black History Project Uh um, and have gotten their friends and their family to financially donate to a Black organization that's doing works on the ground. So I appreciate um, I appreciate that support. It's one thing to say, oh, I like you. I hope that you're, you know, okay and checking in on this time. And then it's another thing to, to, to do an actionable item. Yes. Um, so I appreciate that. I will say that I do feel, I think overall, there are people who are not Black. Well, let's just call it what it is. There are white people who I think do under do understand the the do understand racism like I, I will I will say that I do think that there are people white people who understand racism I think there are people who understand the privilege and I do think that there are people who genuinely want to see justice or progression in the country um, and then there are people who will stand and fight. We see it all over the news at protests and rallies where you have white people um, literally um, being a bridge or a gap between police yes. officers and black protesters. Um, and so if you feel like you want to put your life on the line and go out there um, and, and visible and I mean, we've seen videos of uh, white teenagers calling their parents out like mm-hmm. I appreciate it I, I'm not gonna lie I appreciate it but I do think that there is a pause that we need to take that you you still can't trust everyone um I haven't seen any quote-unquote allies um individually I have seen white-led organizations that have built power off of black bodies and black labor um, and don't give uh, black leaders the credit that is due and so I think that there is a there are issues with um, organizations that mess themselves into fighting for progressive values and that doesn't always necessarily mean black lives and so I think that we do need to be cautious about organizations that are profiting off of the movement yeah um, yes. and I think that's 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 another podcast conversation <laughs> um, I don't think we have time to go there here um, but I just think we need to be careful. I think we need to be mindful about, you know, organizations and people who are just, um, who just are just saying, just saying words, but like no real action. So I'm, I'm, I'm always cautious. I personally have one, I have one ally that I know personally. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I, I don't know if I have a personal experience. My personal experience with other organizations has been a negative one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that those organizations and people are people that we need to be aware of. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, in this season, one of the things that I've learned is like, you know, silence speaks volumes, mm-hmm. you know, Um if you can text me to be like, hey, we're going out for drinks or we're going to meet up here, we're going to do this. Um, in that same vein, why is it with everything that's going on 
there's no conversation at hand, you know, you're not, I don't know if you're afraid to bring it up. Um, but I would hope that anyone who knows both you and I, they would know, you know, we'd be open up to have a conversation, you know? Um, I feel that there have been instances in my past where race has been discussed and, um, I know for a fact, I know several individuals who know that white privilege does exist. Yeah. Um, they have benefited from white privilege. Um, and those conversations have happened in the past, but now with everything that was going that's going on, there's no conversations of, hey, mm. just if you know, I'm I'm really sorry about what's going on. I know it's it may not be your family member. It may not be something that is like cl- hitting close to home, but it does hit close to home. You know, I'm just here for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that yeah. goes a long way. Um, and so I think silence just does speak volumes. And on the other side of it, like you said, even people who are quote unquote vocal, um, are they, you know, receiving funds or, you know, cause I've seen a lot of t-shirts now popping up and, and all these companies are having black lives matter shirts, but you didn't have that before. So yeah. when I purchased that shirt, where's the money going? Right. Right. And I think, I think, that's, I mean, that's another point that I didn't even bring up <laughs> is uh, where, where is the money? Well, I remember I was sitting in a meeting um, and I was like, all of these organizations, all of these companies that are pledging a million dollars, five million dollars to, um, you know, to helping black collabs and black communities. Like, where's the money going? How do I apply? Because give me the money. Yes, because we have, we have things to do in this community. Exactly. Um, Something else that I saw on social media that I thought was a brilliant point was being careful with quote unquote allies who like you, but don't like black people in general. So you have folks that like, oh, I mean, and you know, we are in these young professional spaces and you're at these company mixers and you're you're tolerable like you're the black person that they like you're funny you dress nice you have a great job you fit their mold Um, you fit their mold but don't necessarily understand um or or believe that someone like Eric Garner, who was outside selling, you know, loose cigarettes, deserve to to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that those are, I think those are the type of allies that I'm nervous about. Right. If you like me, or I'm okay, but so and so, you know, you don't like all all types of of black folks. We not all the same. Yeah. But we are the same. You know what yeah. I mean? So and I, I get that because even um I think this the story that I said um with my first recollection of racism was really dealing with my brother and you know my brother he's he's darker skinned than my sister and I. Mm-hmm. And it was said, hey, we can play with you, but we can't play with your brother. Yeah. you're not playing with none of us because we're all black and we're going to go inside now, you know, but, um, it's, it's like what you said is like, you know, what fits the mold, what's tolerable, what's, uh, what's seen as appropriate, um, by, you know, the individual's definition, um, and, and them leading with that. And so can you really be considered an ally if you have a cookie cutter, um, depiction of what is acceptable? Yeah. 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 I mean, oh, that's a, that's a 
another topic. I mean, I hope you're writing these down because we need to have some. We definitely need to have these type of conversations. All right, so um, let's continue on. Um, so in a future episode, I will discuss um, infertility and minority couples, because even if you think about, um, you, you hinted towards the facts about, you know, COVID-19 strongly mm-hmm. hitting uh, African-American community communities, black and brown communities. Um, in the next episode, I will uh, discuss how infertility has really hit hard for minority couples um, yeah. and the statistics and disparities in that realm. In uh, yes. last episode, Woody and I talked about um, systematic, um, systemic, I'm sorry, racism. And my question to you is, what are some ways you have seen um, this type of ra- um, racism, whether in the workplace or whatever? Um, where have you seen um, this type of racism take place? I mean, it's everywhere. <laughs> it is honestly everywhere from voter suppression. Um, I mean, there were years, there were election years where changing locations at the last minute. Of course, thinking about felon um, disenfranchisement. We just got Amendment 4 passed in 2018 where um, 1.4 million Floridians were able to be eligible to vote. And then like not even um, just a few months later, here comes Republican legislators trying to just dismantle and kind of break down exactly who who can out of that 1.4 million. So it's been a fight after, you know, 63% of Florida said that they wanted this passed. Right. Um, to um, ID laws and um, voter and like fraud and just, I mean, they make it so hard for some of our communities um, to vote. I know that there was um, conversation about uh, shortening the early voting time. And um, for those who might not know, um, during early voting, which is two weeks before the election, um, that last Sunday, they were trying to get rid of that last Sunday, but that last Sunday is usually um, where most uh, Black churches gather together and do a Souls to the Polls events, or they all, yes. there's a big event, and all of the church members goes and um votes together. It's been a tradition that's been around for a while. And I mean, there was conversation about um, getting, you know, having an in on Saturday. And it's just like, what a slap in the face. So voter suppression um, is real. Um, when you look at uh, education, we know that um, we look at schools in certain areas are better funded. We know mm-hmm. that education based on property taxes. So depending on where your school is or what neighborhood it's in, depends on what kind of teachers you get, what kind of resources goes to your school, what kind of um, access does your students have, um, how many teachers or how many students per teacher, what type of food are your kids getting, um, environmental injustice, that's a real thing. I mean, Flint, I don't know if I even have to go deeper than that. Um, That is still an issue. Um, Police accountability, I feel 
like I might not even have to go deeper into that. We, we see that happening. You have housing discrimination, business loans discrimination, you have food deserts where um, in some parts you can't even get um, healthy foods or there's not even like a really good grocery store that has, that has healthy food options in some of our communities. And then we wonder why um, our communities are so unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Hypertension, diabetes. I mean, all of it. Mm-hmm. But then they don't have health insurance. Because right. health insurance is also another issue. And so honestly, I mean, people when people say, oh, it's, it's 2020, it's 2019, like racism doesn't exist. Well, yeah, maybe they're not like lynching people on trees which they still are um maybe they're not lynching people on trees right now or black people don't have to sit on the back of the bus but it is systemic racism is literally everywhere in every facet of our lives and those of us um we see it we feel it the people that it it, it's um it impacts and it's um the system is like legit not set up for us to be successful at all um and so I mean, it just, it looks different, but it has literally infiltrated, like, every area of our lives um, from everything that we do. Um, and this is, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and take it. It's a, it's a voting, it's a voter, it's a voting plug. Like, I will mm-hmm. use this as an opportunity that from housing to criminal justice to education to if your if your streets have, if your street has street lights on it, if y'all have proper um, pedestrian, you know, walkways. That is all comes from an elected position. And so there is a lot of work to be done. There are a lot of elected officials and politicians that are not for us. Um, but it is our responsibility to hold them accountable and make them and force them to do the work that they're supposed to be doing so that we can have adequate education for our kids. So that um, people who are uh, going through the criminal justice system can be treated fairly. Um, so we don't have voter suppression. So we can have a nice smoothie place in a predominantly black community. Right. You know? like, right. I mean, those are things that, again, those are all things that we vote on that elected officials have the ability to do it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, when you think about it, it can be a little sad and overwhelming, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, there's a lot of work to, to be done because it's literally everywhere. Yeah, and I love the fact that you talked about voting, and Woody talked a little bit about this last week. It's the importance of not know, not only voting on a national level, but even the local level you know and i think sometimes we get kind of lazy like oh yeah i'm worried about you know getting the next president in the office but we need to be voting uh all the time (laughs) literally all the time the the laws that the president um sees are formed developed thought process by by congress so we need to make sure that our congressional members um are doing their job and 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 while the president is very important, I will say, because they appoint certain positions, like yes. who's going to be in the Department of Education, who's going to be Department of Housing, of Transportation, who manages, I mean, who manages our income tax checks? Like that's, those are real things. But then you look at from a state level, um, 
you have your your state senates and state representatives that have to balance um, laws and or has to amend laws and balances the budget. And so I used to work for a state representative and I had the opportunity to, you know, be in Tallahassee during a legislative session. And it is it's a doggy dog world up there. It yes. is very intense. And so, I mean, and these 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 folks will fight for specific funding to go to specific communities. I will just say that. And so, um, and then thinking about a local level, like we're all upset about police brutality. Sheriff is a is an elected position. Yep. Your mayor does appoint the police chief. So depending on who you voted as a mayor or did not vote depends on who your police chief is, who your state attorneys are, like judges, like there are so many, I mean, down to your supervisor of election, mm -hmm. your supervisor of election is an elected position and oftentimes runs unopposed. And that, I'm not just speaking specifically for like Orange County, I'm speaking like- Oh no, and Osceola County as well. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I mean, yeah, so, um, voting is is so important and then like it also just it does not stop after you vote you have to continue to engage all of their your um from from local to federal how they vote on specific bills ordinances and things like that are all public records who who voted on what for specific funding that's all public record. So you can literally find out where your current city commissioner, where your state representative, or where your congressional member, where they stand on certain issues based on how they vote and who is funding their campaigns. Wow. Like you can, that's all public records. And so it is, I mean, it takes some work. It takes being engaged. Um, it takes, like I said, it does take some work, but it is our responsibility to hold them accountable. It sucks. For, for those of us who are engaged to do so much work, to fight so hard, and they have so many people that show up, um, and then we still have the same issues time and time again. So yes. I just, yeah, I hope people are encouraged to, to vote this year. Yes, go vote. Yes. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, um, you hosted an event, and it was primarily for the youth, but there were some parents in the crowd and some supporters i was there so um can you tell us a little bit about what was the purpose of the event and what you would like to see in the future um in regards to this conversation um mm -hmm. continuing on yes so we so thank you for coming yeah you guys such great supporters um but um so yeah so there's just so much going on and i know i mean you work with youth so i know a lot of people work with youth. I think it's important that we check on our kids during this time. Because yeah. not only have they been impacted by having to stay home and not see their friends or not be able to go back to college due to COVID-19, then you have, then you're like forced because there's so much content out there. You're forced to watch it on TV or you're forced to watch it on social media. Um, and so I think it's important that they have an opportunity to voice how they feel felt. And so there were so many events happening. There was marches, there were everything, and nothing was happening for our kids. And of course, that's where the Black 
Black History Project plays a huge role um, in filling in the gaps because that is what we do. So that's why earlier when I said we had a had to break out of our, um, we thought we were just kind of chilling and restructuring this year. Um, nope, <laughs> because there is such a need to create a space for our Black youth to be able to talk about how they feel. Yeah. And so I am a, an advocate on creating spaces, but providing um um, including and inviting the right people to guide those conversations. So I stay in my lane as a political community leader and activist. Um, so I, I invited therapists and attorneys to join in on the conversation so that they can engage the students and just be there to offer support. Um, so what we did was we brought the students and of course we invited um, parents, some big one parents, just also knowing who I am, I think, um, whenever I do become a parent, I will, I mean, where, where are you sending your kids? So I get it when parents want to sit in. Um, <laughs> but we were able to, we did split into groups. So we provided a space for the parents and there were a lot of adults, um, just community leaders that just wanted to know how do we support our kids? Um, so they went into a separate room with their, with a, with, um, uh, therapists and attorneys and then there was another room with the students uh, with therapists and attorneys for us to engage in real conversation um, and what came out of that conversation on both sides was it it blew my mind like yes. I'm gonna be honest I wasn't exactly I wasn't sure what to expect I wanted to create the space I created it I wanted to invite um, experts and that's, that's all I knew that I was doing. I'm not sure if I had like a, an outcome, should I say. But um, what came out of it was, was amazing. Um, just hearing the students just be brutally honest about how they're feeling. Yeah. It was actually with the students, but I heard a lot of feedback um, from, the, from the room with the adults um, who shared about they just, they don't really know how to talk to their kids. So how do we provide support for, for parents who are having their own trauma mm -hmm. um, to then have to talk to their kid? That's probably a teenager and is probably disconnected, you know, from you anyway. Um, there's just, there's just a lot. There's a huge dynamic. So um, there's a few things happening. We're having a deeper dive with some of the parents who, and, and adults who attended the session, kind of talk about how we can support um, our students, um, a very good friend of mine, a licensed therapist, is putting together a list of, um, of therapists in the area that can provide support to our students and their parents. So that list will actually be listed on the Black History Project's website. Um, end of week, I'm making my deadline, end of week it will be up. Um, and then we're going to do a part two where we continue the conversation and where do we go from here? Um, I think it's important that we just continue just to create spaces. I didn't have a real agenda for that event. I honestly just wanted a space. Let's just talk, let's, let's um, engage our students. So, and it turned out to be really nice. And I yes. um, within a few days and I was very, um, I was very grateful about the, with the turnout. Yes, it was it was a well packed room, um, and a lot of um, great leaders. You know, were part of the conversation. We're you know trying to get some 
uh, feedback from the students. Uh, and what I appreciate is that they had a safe space to say not only how they're feeling, but their experiences. And if you heard some of the stories that they shared, it would bring you to tears, yeah. literally. Um, and oftentimes we don't think about, you know, the mental state and the mental health of our youth. You know, we think, okay, they're young, they're resilient and that sort of thing. But a lot of them, you know, just kind of suppress what they're feeling. And mm -hmm. that in turn makes it hard for the parents to have conversation because they're dealing with a, a, a child that is suppressing yeah. um, what they're feeling. But I am really appreciative that you have this um, space for them to kind of come in and say, this is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I've experienced, you know, um, and it's, I think one of the questions was like, you know, when was especially for the males, you know, when was that conversation had with you when, you know, a male figure or your father has told you, okay, when you get stopped by the cops, this is what you need to do. And that literally broke me because yeah. it's like, if you think about it, we are, you know, telling our children at a very young age how they should act. And oftentimes, by the grace of God, you know, they come out unscathed, but there are instances out there where they don't. You know, yeah. they're yeah. arrested for something that is not, you know, viable. That's not true. They're killed. Um, and they're walking around with that kind of fear day in and day out. And even for us as young women, you know, like when I get stopped by the cops, I get pretty nervous, you know? Yeah. And oh, it's yeah. like, you start questioning yourself, like, did I do something wrong? Is it, you know, what was going on, you know? Um, and you have that anxiety. It's not until I got married. That Woody was like, okay, no, you can't put your information in the glove compartment. That I don't know why you've been doing that. You can't do that. You need to put it up, you know, in the visor. Yes. And so Same. I'm like, wow, like, okay, like now I legit see what you're talking about, you know, but I was, I don't know, you know, but that's how we've now have, have been trained to do. Um, and it's really, really unfortunate. Yeah, no, same. It is unfortunate, and I and I really am hoping that we can continue to have these conversations because sometimes we don't always have immediate solutions. Right. And that's, that's that's the part. That was the point of the of the event. I mean, we not really. I'm not coming. To, it it turned out that strategy and um and um, opportunity for uh to present other opportunities came out of it. So now I have a lot of work to do to organize more things, but. That wasn't the intent of it. it. Honestly, was just to create space because sometimes people just need space to talk. So yes, definitely. Yeah. And so that leads me to the final question that I have, um, which is, what would you love to see in this next year, in the next few years, in regards to racism, in regards to BHP? Um, mm -hmm. And you can kind of break down, you know, maybe short term and long term. What is it ideally that you would like to see um, out of all of this? Well, I'll start with racism. So with racism, I mean, I think short term, I'm just, I think it is great that, well, first, it's unfortunate that we are here, that we had to get here. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that it's great that conversations are being had, um, that companies and people are being forced to take a stand. So now mm -hmm. we have an understanding of, I mean, where, where do you lie? So I do appreciate that there is just more conversation, more awareness, more 
um, opportunities for those of us who have been fighting and saying the same exact things we're saying now years and years and years ago. Yes. Um, to finally, I mean, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was because of COVID, but something is different about this time. This feels different. This doesn't feel like we're just going to wait until the next, you know, killing. I, it, it just feels for that i i am i'm looking forward to just continued progress and just conversation and the stuff that you're not really seeing on tv or on social media the 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 small groups that are gathering in people's homes and in community centers and things like that like that is where real change is going to happen. Term as far as racism is, um, you know, legislation. I am a woman of faith, so I believe that racism is a sin, um, and so you can't really get rid of racism until you change the hearts of men. Okay. But what you can do is change uh, legislations and policies so that it won't be enforced. Um, and so, police reform, education uh, reform, criminal justice reform, making sure that we're voting and people voting people in who are going to um, actually do right by us that have a plan for the black community and can specifically lay it out. Um, so I am looking forward to seeing political structures change, to seeing um, systems change. Those are the long-term um, goals and hopes that I have in regards to racism. Um, as far as the Black History Project, short-term, I'm excited about this this new energy that people are having with us and being able to re-engage folks, especially um, not being able to program for, for the last few months. Um, Long-term, I'm looking forward to building some structures in that can help both the student and the parent. I think that that's important. We have some um, events and things that we're planning. We're trying to you know, just help students just holistically, not just teaching, not just so they have an understanding of, you know, historical facts or figures, but just understanding just the whole picture and how, like I said earlier, how we can just, you know, just live out this thing and live in a world um, as a Black man and Black woman. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm looking forward to all of the things that we, we've been working on and seeing it come to fruition. Definitely. Thank you so much for that. So, um, Kristen, I want to thank you once again for joining us for this episode of the Infertility um, Podcast. Um, how can we get connected with you? How can we stay connected with you? Yes. So, um, for Black History Project, you can visit us at blackhistoryproject.org, or you can email me at info at blackhistoryproject.org. We're looking for volunteers. I'm actually recruiting new board members. Um, so if anyone is interested in sitting on a board, um, you can also uh, financially uh, contribute <laughs> to the Black History Project on our yes. website. Um, and then also, if anyone is interested in getting engaged um, in the political process or just want to learn more about how you can do that, um, you can email me at Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-E at equalgroundeducation.com. So, um, so yeah, I'm happy to talk to anyone about both.
Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes, it really was. And it's, I'm sure it will definitely continue. So the um, next episode will be, um, we'll talk about fertility. And like I stated, we're going to talk about um, the impact of infertility in black and brown communities. Um, And so I will hopefully have an interview with someone who is in the medical field um, and we'll go over the statistics and some things that uh, we know uh, that is happening and how we can move forward as a community in this realm. So thank you everyone for tuning in and we will catch you on the next episode. Ciao. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Infertility Podcast. Be sure to connect with me via social media. You can find me on Instagram at I am Danielle Joseph or on Facebook, Master Mentor and Minister. Or you can visit my website, which is www.iamdaniellejoseph.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.